Well, congregation, we're going to go ahead and, and jump into God's word. If you have a copy of scripture, please turn with me to Micah chapter 6. This Lord's Day, I will uh, be preaching a two-part exhortation from the book of Micah, specifically verse 8, Micah 6, 8, will be our text, both this morning and this afternoon, as we open up the Word of God. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and now to the preaching of his word. Well, congregation, um, the last several weeks at Sentinel Baptist Church, uh, we've been in a transition period. We just finished up uh, the preaching of God's word through the book of Ruth. And uh, we're getting ready to preach through Philemon and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Usually when we um, have a transition period through the preaching of God's word, I take the time and preach some uh, topical sermons, some exhortations, uh, maybe from the Psalms or something like that. Um, as a benefit to the congregation, addressing maybe particular needs that the church may have. Um, and I took the opportunity to take two weeks and address the topic of Christian living and our duty to God. And I'm really thinking of, of our, our walk with the Lord in light of uh, maybe Paul's exhortation, for example, in Romans chapter 12. And specifically... What is our duty before God? You know, this question is commonly asked in our society, and it's commonly answered by uh, major world religions, and it's commonly answered poorly, very poorly oftentimes, to be quite honest with you. Uh, you know, many world religions are, as you know, works-based, so this answer of what is our duty to God immediately appeals to works, immediately appeals to us and what we're to contribute to God and what we're to give to God, X, Y, and Z. The answer is, is, is often um, poorly answered because the appeal, first and foremost, to the question is man and his heart and not the Holy Scriptures. So this, this question of what is man's obligation to God or what is our duty to God needs to be first and foremost answered by the word of God. So we will do that this morning by way of Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And in our first exhortation, we're going to consider just the first portion of this, of this text in verse 8, where he says, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And by this, we will consider three points this morning. First, that God has shown us that his creation is good. Micah says that he has shown you, 
man, what is good? Well, okay, how? What has God shown us is good? Well, first and foremost, creation. Secondly, he has shown us that his law is good. And ultimately, in all of this, the third point, we see that God has shown us, his creation, that he is good. That he is good. And really, you can start with that first point and and have everything flow from there because it does. Creation is good because God is good. The law of God is good because God is good, etc., etc., But we will first start with God and creation. He has shown us that creation is good. When we read the first book of the Bible, God reveals to us that he is a creator of all things and that all things that he created are good. The phrase, and God saw it was good, appears several times in just the first chapter of Genesis. And then when God completes His creation, so to speak, He says His creation is very good. And He calls this creative work good for a few reasons. We can really spend the rest of the time here and look at that first opening chapter and how God calls these things good and explain as to explain why they are good and, and, and still only scratch the surface. So here are just a few reasons why God can look at creation and, and say in his word that it is good. First and foremost, by it, by creation, God is glorified. Creation is a means by which God is glorified. Therefore, it is good. We can stop there. The fourth chapter in John's Revelation it tells us that, that you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. But then hear this. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. That's the, that's, that's the revelation where John, John is, 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 is seeing the Lord and he's praising him and saying, you are worthy, O Lord. You are, you are deserving of all that is good because you are good and your creation shows this to us. It tells us of your goodness. Second, creation is called good because it is an outworking of God's decree. It is an outworking of God's decree. How does God reveal to us his decree? How may we know God's decree? Well, think of the Baptist catechism, that famous answer by creation and providence. God reveals to us that which is sacred, that which is in his mind by way of his creation and by way of his providence, how he continues to love us and, 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 and govern his creation Therefore, we conclude that whatever God ordains is right and his creation is that which is ordained. Therefore, it is good. Excuse me. Thirdly, we see creation is good. Initially speaking, when he creates, he calls it good because sin has not yet entered into the world. When God creates, when he creates all things, days one through six, He looks at his creation and says it is good because there is no sin. Sin has not entered the world. God is not the author of sin, nor 
Was sin in the picture when God created all things? Fourth, creation is good as it reveals to us truth concerning God. Right? We have the book of scripture. We have the book of nature. We can view creation and, and start writing things down about God, about its creator. And those things are good things. He, he creates in a way that has perfect design. He creates in a way that, it, that, that he continues to sustain. He creates in a way that shows his love, his mercy, and his justice. And then ultimately we look at creation and we read it in the light of the entirety of God's word and we conclude that creation is good because it has a purpose. It shows forth purpose. These are the things outside ourselves that God calls good and Lord willing. These, these proofs, so to speak, are good to meditate on in light of God's creative work. And in light of the apex of God's creation, which is man, who we know was also created good. Creation of earth and all that is in it. The creation of man. We can, we can see God's goodness in the creation of man when we consider just a few things. First, the day in which God creates man. He creates man on the sixth day. Meaning all creation prior to man sets the stage for God's most prized creation. Man made in the image of God. He doesn't create man without water. He doesn't create man without the necessary elements for man to glorify and enjoy his said creation. Rather, he creates man after all these things are created, that man may be without excuse, that man may glorify him and enjoy him forever. And God is not holding a carrot on the end of a stick or something like that, but to show forth God's goodness truly. Out of love, he creates man with all the necessary components needed to glorify him. This shows forth the wisdom of God. This shows forth the wisdom of God. This, this destroys, levels atheism when you look at it. No, there's absolute purpose in the creation of man, even in the order of things. And that shows that God is good. It shows that God is good. Not only the day in which he creates the significance of that sixth day, but the way in which God creates man. He is created from the dust. Man is the apex of his creation because he is created unlike the rest of creation. He is created in a different way. Man is made from matter that was already created. God shows his power and majesty by picking up clay and breathing life into it. That's the creation of the first man. And in congregation, just as a side point, this isn't just good, it's quite humbling when you think about it. We were nothing but dust before God breathed life into us. That's humbling. Like that, that puts us into perspective in relation to the rest of creation. And truly, this ought to solidify the truths that even, even the pagans know, by the way. And that is that in Him we move and live and have our being. The, the breath of life has turned us from ashes to 
to rational creatures made to love God and live for his glory. This shows that God is, is good. Not only the day and the way in which man was created, but also how man was made shows forth God's goodness. Man was made in the image of God. This means that man was made to be like God, and rightly so, created as a free being, created righteously, created with a righteousness. While man is most certainly not like God and that he was created, God is it's not created. But man is like him in the sense of likeness. Made with righteousness, purity, and wisdom. And fourthly, God demonstrates his goodness, mercy, and love towards man as he creates him a helper. One like him. To glorify him and enjoy him forever. There are many conclusions one may take away from just the first three chapters, right? Prelapsarian, pre-fall Adam, creation. We may, we may take many conclusions away, but the chief conclusion must be that God is good and has shown his goodness to us in creation. In addition to, to this way in which he's shown man that he is good, he also shows man that he is good by his law, by way of his law. Shows man that he is good by way of his law. The 19th Psalm reads, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Well, the Psalm says it there. Case closed. We don't really have to continue on. It's, it's clear in the text. God has shown us his law is good. Says it right there in the scriptures. Well, consider this for a moment. Since we ended the last point in the garden, which I know is your, your pastor's favorite place to, 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 to be in the garden, we'll pick up where we left off there. Think of the law in light of that, that same context. Man is created in the image of God, therefore has the works of the law written on his heart. The subsequent revelation will tell us this. Long before any thus saith the Lord or any direct command from God by way of his prophets, God gives man an understanding of his law. The first person, Adam, when he was made, was made with the works of the law written on his heart. This is what the Apostle Paul will tell us. And he uses this argument to solidify the fact that no one's without excuse. Nobody has a, a defense response, a good argument to God on the last day. Adam had this knowledge without blemish. He had the requirements. He knew what God required of him. He knew what was forbidden in terms of God's moral law. He knew this without blemish, meaning he was able to discern that which is right from that which is wrong, and live in God's first temple, Eden, with his wife and all his posterity without interruption. He was created with knowledge of what pleases God, what God forbids. Therefore, we may never charge God with being unjust or unfair. 
This law is precisely what the first man needed, and thus God gives him the said law. And in addition to this law concerning morality known by the first person, God also gives Adam an additional law, a positive law, with regards to the tree in the garden. And in all in doing this, man is a recipient of goodness. Man is a recipient of God's goodness. Don't eat from this particular tree. Well, why does he tell him that? If you eat from this tree, you're going to die. In other words, this positive precept in the very beginning is a matter of life and death. And God gives it to the first public person as a matter of life and death. Therefore, it is good. One may initially think here, how is that law good when there's a clear consequence that is not good? Well, the answer is quite simple, congregation. If God's law is good and obedience to his law brings honor and communicates to us that which is good, then it follows that disobedience to his law is evil and brings forth consequences. Later revelation will tell us that disobedience to God's law earns the ultimate punish, a punishment of death, eternally speaking. But it is good as obedience to this would have resulted into eternity with God. It would have resulted in a greater estate. God shows us that his law is good in this way. But his goodness does not cease in the garden with regards to his law at this point. If we continue in the text of Scripture, he gives his people additional laws for the sake of their good, thereby showing them their, his care for them, his love for them, his need for them to obey in order that they may be given eternal life. Yet we know because of sin, this is just not possible. He gives the standard of righteousness at Sinai for example, with the moral law. He gives the ceremonial laws needed with regards to the worship due unto his name. And he gives the judicial laws for order. All of which show forth his son. All of which are for the purpose of preservation, ultimately. That God's people may be preserved and bring forth the Messiah through the seed of the woman. All of these things that God is doing and time and space are good and show us that he is good. And then ultimately we get to the New Testament. We see goodness incarnate. We see goodness made flesh. We see goodness made for us. And we see the additional laws in the New Testament. And what are they? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we would even, we're Baptists. We would describe those things as great. Those aren't just good. They're great. We need them. They're means of grace. Well, those things too show us that we serve a good God. That he would continue to give us these positive laws to the church to show forth his grace as a reminder as, what he, as, as to what he's done for us. As a reminder that he will return once again. As a reminder that he will never leave us nor forsake us. All of these things show that God is good. But ultimately, congregation, 
We don't need any of these things to know that God is good. This is where it gets very interesting. God is good, period. He has shown us that he is good. The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 68 writes, you are good and do good. That simple. That is our God. You are good and do good. To summarize in all this, we conclude that God is infinitely good. We conclude that God is infinitely good. This can be hard for us to really meditate on as the term good is used so often and it communicates something mundane or normal. Like, I'm sure we're going to have good food after the service is over. Some of you might even say, you're a good friend. All of those ways that we use the term good, they just fall short when we think of God and the way God is good. These are just ways we as sinful creatures use this term. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's, it's not like the term good should be exclusively reserved for God and we need to uh, be very, very careful what we call good. That's not necessarily the case. We, we do argue that with his name. That is true by way of the third commandment. But we use this term good in this way, and there's nothing wrong with that. We use that which God has given us to describe the state we are in. In this sense, we have goodness. We are recipients of goodness. We are, by definition, beneficiaries of goodness. As God is the ultimate good, He is the benefactor. He is a standard of goodness. There is no goodness outside of Him. And we praise God for this. Yet when we speak about God and this attribute of goodness, we are saying that God is not like us and that He receives goodness or he, that He even has goodness or, or may have a, a state of increased or decreased goodness. We say that God is a source of good. We say that He is goodness itself and in Him there's no darkness at all. He is the benefactor in every sense of the word. He is the one who freely bestows his love and kindness upon his creation. And that is what we conclude good. Yet even calling him the benefactor, it's, it can be dicey because now we're saying he is merely the one who gives something to another. And this is really a basic understanding. It's true. But again, what we're trying to really affirm here is that God is the only source of goodness. He's the only source of love. He's the only source of mercy. He is the benefactor. He's the only benefactor in this way, properly speaking. Where this becomes essential with regards to our relationship with God is that we must see everything He does in time and space, every single thing God does for us is good as it comes from His hand. All of which ultimately point to the greatest act of goodness, the greatest act of charity, speaking specifically of the goodness we find in redemption. Congregation, this is the greatest good man may experience, knowing God by faith. 
That is where we see his goodness in redemption. And even this redemption we see from the very beginning. We see it promised in Genesis 3. We see it unfolding through types and shadows by way of that law which reveals to us that he is good. And then we see it at the proper time, sending his only begotten son to take upon himself human flesh, ultimately to die a death that you and I deserve on the cross where the greatest act of charity is made clear to sinners like you and I. The greatest thing, congregation, is that God does not stop loving us. He continues to do so. He continues to provide for us. Remember, the outworking of God's decree, creation and providence. But when we think of providence, congregation, this morning, on the Lord's Day, we must think of his special providence. We must think of there being a special love that God bestows upon all of those in Christ. And he does so even now as we worship him in his name. Let's pray. Father, we once again come before you, giving you thanks. We thank you, Lord, for sending your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that salvation is freely offered in him. We thank you, Lord, as we are without hope otherwise. For where would we go? Who can deal with this, with this sin that haunts each and every one of us? Who can deal with the wrath of God that is due as a result of sin? Oh, it is Christ indeed. Lord, we thank you that all those who call on the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be saved. And we thank you that we can rejoice this Lord's Day for the salvation that has been freely given to us. We just give you thanks once again. In Jesus' name, amen.